both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool, Bizval Live, or reaching out to us for a concierge offering, where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to the Bizval Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Bizval Podcast. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I'm so excited to have this discussion today with Mark Davidson on the other side of the world where they have electricity just outside Glasgow. Mark is from Crest Business Advisory. And Mark, I'm really happy that you've made some time for us today. I think you have an enormous amount to share with us on, I guess, deal making in the UK and perhaps just that sort of international mindset. Great, thank you. No, pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'm being reminded uh, by how you know difficult it is to do business in South Africa right now because I thought my laptop was fully charged. I have load shedding currently. Anyone listening to this in Mark's network overseas, that means the power is out in South Africa at the moment for roughly eight hours a day, just in different segments. So at least they tell you when it's going out. So this is my absolute rookie error for not having a fully charged laptop, but I think we'll be okay. Mark, no doubt challenges on that side, but at least you do have electricity for a full day, which uh, does does help, I have no doubt. I think before we jump into some of your insights into deal making in the region, it would be cool to just understand a little bit more about you, your background, you know, how did you get to where you are today? Sure, no, thanks, Ghost. Um, so, so my background is that I've had over 25 years experience in business. Um, I actually started off my career um, as an accountant, qualified accountant, but um, after about seven or eight years, I moved quite quickly into commercial roles. And I've been fortunate enough to, to work for uh, three large corporates where I gained a huge amount of experience. So I spent 11 years with Johnson & Johnson with the, the medical device sectors. And I'm, I was really fortunate there to, to gain experience in different commercial functions. Um, so worked in marketing roles, market access, and then also commercial leadership roles. I then moved to a Swedish multinational called Monlika. It's one of the top three wound care companies globally. And um, I was working within the corporate development team in a strategic marketing role. And I was working really closely with the M&A team there and absolutely loved it. Loved the work that they did and you know, felt like it was a really good fit for me. So I was fortunate enough to be offered the opportunity to move into, into a pure kind of M&A corporate development role. And then I moved, my, my, my last corporate role was with a UK PLC called Halma. And I wanted to move to Halma because they're, they're very acquisitive. Um, they do multiple deals per year and they have an interesting um, you know, operating structure. So they operate like a long-term holding uh, group and they have about 55 or so operating companies across three different sectors. And I was working within the healthcare M&A sector. We were quite a small team and we owned the full end-to-end M&A process. So all the way from sourcing targets, um, valuing targets, strategically assessing targets, and, and also the segments that, that, they, that they operated in. And then obviously took those targets through a, a deal process. So due diligence, completion, etc. So amazing experience, very fast paced, quite intense. But, you know, it was it, it was great experience. And, and actually in that role, Ghost, that, that's where I really 
began to focus more on um, SMEs, which is small to medium-sized enterprises. Halma is very focused on acquiring high-quality SMEs, probably at the more at the upper end of, of that scale, so two to three million EBITs and above. Obviously, for bolt-on deals, you know they, they, they do look at um, smaller-sized companies, but certainly in terms of standalone deals, that would, would be a kind of sweet spot um, for for Halma in terms of their acquisition criteria. So as part of that, you know, I spoke with you know many many SME owners, smaller than that, and also also bigger than that. So gave me great exposure into the SME market and and, and how that is set up, particularly from an M and A perspective. And then since then, I, I left I left Halma at the end of the year, and I set up Crest Business Advisory. And you know, my focus really is 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 on working with SME owners and and really helping them to develop clarity on how they can maximize the value of their own business. And that may or may not be related to the owners wanting to sell their business in the future. About half of my clients are focused on on developing and implementing growth strategies. So I take them through quite a detailed process of understanding where their business is today, where do they want it to be in say three years time. And then together we build a roadmap to to obviously enable them to get to that, that, that destination. But the other half actually are really focused on exiting their business, uh, typically one to three years out. So I, I work with them to really create a path to a successful exit. And a successful exit means different things to different people, but directionally, you know, that means obviously really maximizing the value of the company in the eyes of a buyer. But it's also about, you know, navigating the complexities of the structure of a deal and, and, and you know, supporting them to get to a point where um, a structure put forward by a buyer will be favourable to the seller and, and not just to the buyer as well. So a good mix of businesses and, you know, really enjoying really enjoying this new part of my career. It's such a well-rounded experience that you've had, Mark. And I mean, I've spent some time both advising corporates who then don't typically do transactions. It's not their run-of-the-mill stuff. And then there are corporates that have these internal M&A teams, which you've also had experience in, where it's a bit more in the way of like bolt-on acquisitions, usually sometimes entirely new areas, but these are typically big corporates where deal-making is in their DNA. And there's a very large difference between a corporate where deal-making is part of that DNA and a corporate where it is not. And that's where they have either in-house teams or external advisors. I will also highlight that EBIT number. So for those who aren't sure, that's earnings before interest and tax, which is a nice proxy for operating profit after, you know, allowing for depreciation and kind of making a rough assumption that maintenance capex probably looks a bit like depreciation. So EBIT's quite a nice metric to use. I think you said two to three million, no doubt great British pounds as opposed to rapidly depreciating South African rands. Just to give the South African listeners a sense of what an SME in the UK looks like. It's incredible, this, the sense of scale. You know, from South Africa, particularly when we look at these international businesses, a small business in the UK is the size of a relatively sort of small listed development board kind of company in South Africa. Uh, you know, if you just convert the currency, it just gives you an idea of how much bigger that market is. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. And yeah, you know, it's, I mean, t- touching on Halma, because I, I do think they're a very, very interesting company. And they actually fly under the radar quite a lot. It's amazing that the number of people that I speak with who have never heard of Halma, um, but they are one of the, the top 50 companies in the UK by, by market cap. So they are, you know, they are a significantly sized company in, in the UK and obviously they work internationally. But yeah, you know, you're talking about the, the, the differences between corporates who have, you know, really embedded 
the M&A function within their organisation versus those who, who maybe, you know, bring in experts as and when required. And, and Halma's obviously very much in the first camp. And, you know, I think that's a couple of reflections for myself on with regards to Halma is that, you know, one of the key things for Halma uh, in terms of deal making is that they are incredibly disciplined on their criteria. So the criteria in, with regards to the, the financial profile of the company, but also very important to, to Halma is the criteria uh, connected to the, the, the market segment that that target operates in. So we spent a lot of time, not just on the numbers and, and looking at the financial metrics, but we spent a lot of time really getting into detail about you know the, the strategic dynamics of, of the space in which that target actually operates. Because one of the key things about Halma actually is that they're very much a long-term holder of the companies that they acquire. It's not a PE model of holding them, you know, four, five, six years and then sell. They very much look at company through the lens of, do we believe this company will still create value for our shareholders in 20 to 30 years time? So as I say, you know, as a result of that, we did spend a lot of time of really strategically assessing um, SMEs. Um, to really understand if they were going to be a good long-term fit for Halma. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack here, right? There's the the sort of the way private equity thinks, which is often lots of debt, as you say, sort of seven-year holding period, maximum IRR, and no shortage of risk along the way. And then you get corporates who are kind of building up a portfolio of complementary businesses. They don't look to starve them with debt. They have no plans to exit in the next five to seven years. They are looking to add on a strategic fit buy a management team, it's a completely different buyer. And actually entrepreneurs who haven't been through a sales process don't realize how different a financial buyer is from a strategic buyer. It's literally chalk and cheese. I mean, I'm guessing that's been your experience as well, Mark. That's certainly what I've seen in the South African market. Oh, absolutely, I couldn't agree more with that. And, you know, I think that my reflection now that I'm working directly with SMEs, you know, particularly those that are, are looking to exit their company, is that you know there there really is a great opportunity if they plan in advance to really strategically position themselves um, to be an attractive target for corporates. You know it's because I, in in my view they you know a strategics typically are are willing to pay a bit more for a target, particularly if they have a strong strategic fit. And you know and what's the, the advice that I give to my SME clients who who are looking to exit is 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 really think through you know. Who, who those strategics could be that could be a great home for your business. In my opinion, you know, there's a great opportunity for SMEs to really think through where would my business, you know, fit very, very well with, with a strategic acquirer. Um, and then from that, you can really then start to, you know, look into opportunities. For example, are there opportunities for joint ventures or strategic alliances with potential strategic partners? And that really gives a, an SME a foot in the door and, you know, get onto the radar of these of, of these strategic acquirers. So it's, it's certainly an area which, in my my experience, is that SME owners typically don't, don't really look at potential um, buyers through that lens. But for me, there is there are definitely opportunities. So, Mark, with all of that said and done around strategics and financial buyers and all of this kind of, you know, this different approach, I suppose, obviously now you are advising SMEs. So I think what's really cool is you've now stepped outside of that. You've almost stepped, you know, across the fence and now you are advising SMEs who were previously the targets. So I suppose that puts you in a very good position 
to actually help SMEs, particularly when they are being acquired by these larger, scarier groups. And whenever I speak to founders who are looking at a deal like this, they so often make the mistake of not getting the correct professional help early enough in the process. They don't realize that in many cases, a lot of these corporates, let's be blunt, you're kind of dancing with wolves here. And if you go and do that without being adequately protected, having legal advice, having a proper financial person to help you, you know, corporate financiers are the architects of these transactions. It's like going and trying to build a house without an architect. You wouldn't do that. And yet so many founders will go and try and, and sell their businesses without getting professional help. In your experience, where does that sort of go wrong? You know, where do SMEs get hurt in this process and what should they be learning from that experience when dealing with large potential acquirers? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I, I completely agree with, with, with your view there. I mean, it's, it's certainly been my experience that, not always, but, you know, in, in the main, SME owners don't really think strategically about their exit plan. Um, you know, for me, they need to be thinking at least one year out, preferably two to three years out before they actually, you know, take the company to, to the market. And exactly as you say, a, a very important component of that, that, that plan is getting the right advisors involved at an early stage. And, you know, many SME owners, you know, think of that as being as being a cost to their business. And perhaps that makes them a little bit reluctant to, to, to incur that cost. But in my view, it's, it's very much an investment. And the, the work that you can do with different advisors to really prepare your company for sale in advance will more than pay for itself when you do actually exit the company. You know, I think in, in terms of corporates and, and strategics, I mean, they're, they're very, very good at you know, having the, the key foundations in place within that business, obviously. And that's something that they really look for in SMEs. And with, when we talk about foundations, in place you know we're really talking about does this company have a clear vision do they have a, a purpose do they have the, the rights you know the, the the right culture which fits with our culture but it's also looking at areas you know such as do they have a, a quality management team do we believe that by buying this business you know we can we can slot them in quickly and they will continue to you know create value for for, for our business so really looking at the management team and the structure, do you have the right people in the right places, the right competencies? You know, owner dependency is a massively important area for SMEs and, you know, massive, a hugely important consideration for, for corporates. And, you know, and I see it, I've seen it so many times that the business is just far too dependent on, on the owner and that creates risk for, for corporates. And, you know, going, going back to what you were saying, I mean, at the end of the day, a corporate they look at the, the, the historical performance of the business to be assured that this is a, a solid business, it's got a good track record, but ultimately they are buying the business for future cash flows. So really what they're doing when they're assessing a business is, is trying to identify risks to that future cash flow. And you know, as I say, owner dependency would be considered to be quite a high risk for, for many deals. Also, you know, areas such as really having all of your documentation, your financials, your legals, etc., everything, your contracts, all, all of that documentation is, is complete and accurate. And that's an area that some SMEs, you know, sometimes do not have in place, but should be addressed before you take the, the company to, to the market. And then I think what's also really important as well is, you know, understanding what it is that makes you different in your marketplace and being able to communicate that and be able to show that to potential acquirers is really important and, and, and really does 
make a difference to to, to what that that exit value is. So yeah, there's a lot of important areas um, that that you know often SME owners, as I say, they're 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 so busy in the day to day, and they're you know absolutely brilliant at the technical aspects of their job. But sometimes they do need that that kind of outside look to really take a holistic view of their business and really advise them on on where they need to you know potentially improve what they do or fill gaps or put in place new new systems new processes etc which ultimately will make a huge difference to delivering a successful exit mark you've touched on so many great points there i think the one that i want to just highlight and bring up again is is the way you linked the softer stuff to the valuation so it started with stuff like culture etc you can't value culture using an algorithm that's something you need to feel and decide for yourself if it's going to work but something you did raise that i think you absolutely can put a number to is succession and owner dependency so for example in the bizval models and when we do valuations for people we look strongly at you know bench strength bluntly and one of the ways we do it is we ask the founder you know when last did you take a holiday did you turn your phone off and how long was it for that is one of the best ways to know for sure. And we know this as founders, you know, you can never really switch off. If you are able to truly switch off from your business, it means you've got a proper team in place there and they can actually run the place without you. And that makes your business a lot more valuable. And it comes through, as you correctly say, in the discount rate, which is applied to future cash flows. And for anyone who's not quite sure how that works, basically the more risk, the, hi the higher the discount rate, a high discount rate means a lower present value of the cash flows or bluntly, a business that is not as valuable. And when there is owner dependency concern, then you would typically increase the interest rate or, or, or rather increase the discount rate that you'll apply to those cash flows and it brings the value down. So there's a lot of prep work that SMEs need to do before they go to market. And it really does pay off handsomely because it can be the big difference between getting you know, a very mediocre offer and getting a very good offer, which brings me to, I guess what I want to ask you next, which is you know, in the South African market, and I wonder if it's the same on that side, there tend to be these rules of thumb for valuation multiples and what people are willing to pay. And then they're quite stuck on that. So quite a common rule of thumb in South Africa is five to seven X EBITDA. That is commonly used. And it's interesting because that rule tends to be the rule regardless of macroeconomic conditions, which is completely wrong, and prevailing interest rates, which is also completely wrong. But for some reason, this stuff becomes folklore in the deal-making industry. And I'm curious if it's the same on that side. Do you often find... You're kind of working from, okay, here's the rule of thumb. Now, let me tell you what I really think the answer is. Do people anchor to a number? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that, you know, within the SME market, if we're talking about, you know, it's, it's, it's an overused phrase, but kind of traditional economy type businesses. So, you know, your traditional engineering, manufacturing uh, businesses, you know, service, service type businesses like fire and security, for example. A typical range for a company which may be between £500,000 EBITDA to £1,000,000 EBITDA, I mean, typically they would transact, uh, you know, three to four times, you know, and, and that is a big generalisation. And I think that's important to make that point because there are so many other factors, as you know, that, that really do um, impact what that final multiple is. But certainly in the market here, if you were to go out and look for a traditional economy type um, business to buy within that range of you know below one million pounds EBITDA, you know you would typically be looking at a range of maybe three to four, perhaps five at, at at a stretch, but certainly you know three to four would be my would be my experience of where the market is. 
So the most fascinating thing about that is that the multiples in the UK sound like they are arguably a bit lower than they are in South Africa for private businesses, which is completely the wrong way around, right? Yeah. If you look at macroeconomics. Exactly, exactly. But again, you know, it's, and I think going back to the, the earlier part of the discussion is that, you know, in my, in my view, there, there, are, there, are, there are definitely, you know, tactics and strategies that SMEs can put in place which would take them above that in the UK, that kind of three to four multiple range. And I think, you know, going back to, to the point that you, you made is that for sure you, you, you need time to develop and implement those strategies and tactics. But if you do do that, it really is, you know, it, it really can pay back handsomely in terms of, of what that final multiple may be. And the multiples vary drastically. I mean, there's been uh, transactions in South Africa in the past week or so. I've seen companies change hands, and this is listed companies buying SMEs, so very much your wheelhouse. I've seen a labor-broking type business change hands at about two and a half times, and then a fire services business, for want of a better description, I think it was around 9x. So it just shows you know, how much it varies across sector, and we know this in Pizval, and I mean, you'll know this, Mark, is... You know, it really comes down to how defensive the sector is, what the growth prospects are, how investors perceive it, what they're really looking for. And I guess that brings me to, you know, one of the last questions I want to ask you, which is, you know, which are the sectors at the moment that you are seeing as being quite hot, for want of a better description? Where is the activity at the moment in the UK? Yeah, so I mean, I think that there's there there are definitely a few sectors. So the ones that would be, you know, at the upper upper range of multiples. So, you know, potentially six, seven, eight and above. I mean, it's, it's areas such as, you know, life sciences, you know, healthcare type businesses, renewable energy, tech businesses. I mean, I don't think that will be a surprise for, for any of your uh, listeners. I think a couple of other sectors, which, you know, personally I've seen a lot of activity in is definitely fire and security uh, companies within the UK. You know, it's a very, very fragmented industry in the UK. I, I can't remember the exact stats, but there are many, many thousands of, of businesses within that sector. And it's a really interesting sector because there are a lot of complementary niche segments. So there is a lot of activity in fire and security where you, you have, you know, organizations doing a buy and build, for example, because they can buy a platform business you know, solid management team, you know, rip, you know, good size, etc. But then they can quite easily start to bolt on other complementary businesses within that sector. So you do see, or we have seen a lot, a, a lot of activity in, in that area, including, you know, private equity companies, for example, and not just, um, and not just trade buyers. Another sector which uh, I've seen quite a lot of activity in, and I know people who, who are actually you know, looking to consolidate in this sector is, is, is accountancy practices, actually, which is quite interesting. It's obviously a service type business, but again, hugely fragmented. And I think acquirers are seeing a really good opportunity to roll up multiple accountancy practices and potentially create quite significant synergies, particularly around technology. So we know that there's been quite, you know, quite a step change in technology adoption within, you know, the accounting sector and definitely there's there, there is a, a lot of activity of, of buying up you know five six to ten people practices and then you know rolling them rolling them in together so and then another sector which was was, was pretty hot up until maybe more recently but child nurseries you know there was a lot of activity again of, of rolling up child nurseries you know very very fragmented again so you know acquirers are seeing an opportunity to create synergies 
by 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 you know consolidating that that sector as well. So there's definitely a lot of activity still going on, even though you know interest rates are obviously going up in the UK as well. But there 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 are definitely significant opportunities across a number of different sectors. I love these roll-up opportunities in the UK. They seem to be really popular. So we have a business uh, listed here in South Africa. It's called Universal Partners. They've got a dentistry roll-up business in the UK as one of their investments. And as best I can remember, they did a large deal recently where they combined that business with another dentistry group. So it seems like these services businesses in the UK, that roll-up play is alive and well. Very interesting to hear those examples like childcare. So thank you. Those are, those are good insights. I guess the last question from my side for this podcast, and it's been so great to have you on, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. To what extent are you seeing uh, foreign buyers coming into the UK market and trying to mop up SMEs, or is that quite a rare transaction? Do most of the SMEs generally just change hands, you know, among other sort of UK residents? Just any insights you've got into that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I I think that... I do see it happening. I don't see that, you know, being a very common occurrence, you know, in terms of overseas buyers. But certainly, for sure, there are definitely overseas, you know, buyers within the market, for sure. You know, I know, I know of, you know, it's a private equity company, but you know, not not that big. But they are they are certainly quite active. A Canadian firm, um, who are certainly quite active in the market. And yeah, for sure, that I mean, there are definitely. There's, there's definitely an overseas presence in the acquisition market within the UK. But do I think that it's it's prevalent? Do I, do, have I seen that it's you know really significantly increasing? I can't say I have. That doesn't mean to say it's not happening. But yeah, certainly there, there, there is some activity from overseas acquirers. Brilliant, Mark. Thank you so much for these insights. It's been really great to chat. I think we can probably leave it there. For those who are looking to engage with you, contact you, obviously any advice around the market there or SMEs potentially in your network listening to this who want to reconnect with you, where would you direct people? How should they find you? Yeah, sure. So obviously I'm on LinkedIn. So you can look for Mark Davidson, uh, Crest Business Advisory on, on LinkedIn. My email, if you you know your listeners would prefer to contact me directly, is mark at crestba.com. And then my website is www.crestba.com. So that would be the three main ways to contact myself. Fantastic, Mark. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really cool. I'm sure we'll chat again. But all the best on that side of the pond and uh, enjoy the fact that when you flick a light switch, you have electricity. It's uh, more of a blessing than you perhaps realize. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I hope that gets resolved soon. So yeah, no, I really enjoyed the conversation, Ghost. Thank you very much. Thank you.